Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Well, welcome into this edition of Nothing Impossible. Michael Calhoun and is that Travis, Travis. Sheridan? It is. How you doing, brother? Uh, not bad. We we don't have any sports this weekend on KMOX, which means we don't have a uh, conflict with our Nothing Impossible show this evening. So we get to talk about cool stuff. Love it. And it's pretty timely because there is huge news when it comes to the St. Louis tech and startup scene from this week. This might be the biggest company to come out of the the St. Louis startup scene. These you know these companies begin. They're so small. Uh, you know, just a few employees, and they've got, you know, one little office space inside of these co-working centers that we talk about, T-Rex downtown or Cortex or even the old post office in St. Charles, and they grow and grow, hopefully, and Varsity Tutors has grown to the point where, in the midst of this pandemic, Travis, they've really taken advantage of uh, the need for virtual instruction and virtual tutoring and people not being able to get that in person, wanting to do it at home. Uh, they've really taken advantage of it. They're going public, and their valuation is $1.7 billion with a B. That's a big, that's a big B, $1.7 billion. That is, that's remarkable. And, yeah, I think the pandemic has definitely helped them, like you said, a lot of this distance education, distance learning. But they've also been slow and steady, right? They've, uh, they've been under the radar. They're not uh, grabbing a lot of flashy headlines. They're... They're not participating in different like demo days. Like they are heads down building a very viable and strong business. Yeah, and they've been raising money too as they've built this out, figured out you know what their niche is and then what the product should look like. And now they're into using AI, artificial intelligence, to to better match the students with the potential tutors. And uh, slow and steady, but uh, they've had uh, let's see, 2015 they raised. Fifty million dollars, five zero million in investment, and then 2017 they the they raised another fifty point three million dollars in investment, uh, including from the Chan Zuckerberg initiative right there. And so uh, as they go public here, this could be a big payday. It could infuse seven hundred fifty million dollars of cash into this. Uh, by the way, Varsity Tutors is changing its parent or adding a parent company, which is going public, and that's called Nerdy. So while the product that we've talked about for years and covered on KMOX has been called Varsity Tutors, this company, which is a huge St. Louis tech company, the newest public company in our region, is going to be called Nerdy. The nerds win again. You know, I, you know everybody's excited about uh, when, when students become athletes and they go, you know, they, there's the athletic pathway, but maybe there's room for nerds in this world too. 
Bill, Bill Gates has shown that. Varsity Tutors can show that. And Travis, kind of put this into a little bit of context, I guess, because these companies, it's their dreams. You know, there's a term for this over a billion dollar valuation. It's called a unicorn because it's so rare for companies to get to this point. Yeah. And I, you know, we were talking a little bit before we jumped into this of other St. Louis companies. And I was trying to do some quick Google research to see what Express Scripts was when it finally went public. I wasn't able to find that. But if we we think about there's a company that was called JBar, and then it became Gainsight. Uh, Jim Eberline was the CEO and founder of that. He left to create Top Ops. So, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, fam- seems like families, like they, they start one thing and do something else. But, but Gainsight recently raised money uh, and was at a valuation of about $1.1 billion. So it's very rare in St. Louis for these companies to grow to that type of scale. Yeah, it's really kind of the mark of, um, I think that you've arrived as a tech city. For instance, in Chicago, um, they were kind of looked at by the coasts as, oh, that's so cute. You're trying to build a little tech ecosystem there. And then they had Groupon, which was a unicorn and went public and became a huge, you know, bonafide major tech corporation. And all of that money from those people who founded Groupon, they could then plow it back into the next generation of smaller startups, and hopefully one of them uh, then grows to be huge and then has a big exit. They sell or they go public, and then they have money, and then they invest it, and it's, it's kind of the circle of startup life right there. But this is, a, this is huge for St. Louis. Well, and, and you know we have had this experience before, and I, I think the thing to point out about Nerdy or, or uh, Varsity Tutors is they are going public. That means they will be, it'll be a stock that people can buy, right? You could... We've heard a lot this week about, uh, you know, retail investors and people, you know, not just investing for the big guys or the big institutions as we've looked at, you know, GameStop and uh, AMC and Nokia and all this, this chatter that's going on with, uh, with this grassroots effort to kind of almost game the system. Uh, but, but something like uh, Nerdy or, or Varsity Tutors is going to be a stock that people can buy. And I, one of the things that I think about is, uh, you know, Answers.com went public, right? That was probably our last quote-unquote tech company that went public, um, and we can see now that a number of those founders and part of and parts of those teams are doing other things, uh, starting other companies and investing in other companies. I just don't think a lot of people realize that these companies that we look to, whether it's Express Scripts or Centene in modern modern day, or going back to Anheuser Busch in Bev now. And, uh, you know, that was that was a, a, a brewery that some immigrant from Germany started uh, upon arriving in St. Louis. And we've got microbreweries all over the place here, Urban Chestnut, Schlafly or two that are growing. Uh, but all of these, these St. Louis companies that we admire and that are just stalwarts of life here, they began the same way that these companies we talk about, we spotlight every week with two employees and six employees. That's how they start. But this is hopefully how it ends. Well, and if, think about our brewing industry. I mean, the you, you mentioned some of the the new, you know, uh, whether it's uh, Schlafly or if we think about Urban Chestnut or any of them that are that are growing and becoming larger. Many of those founders, many of those brewmasters, got their start at Anheuser Busch in Beth, right? So, like, it's it's almost the same type of thing we see in in the Bay Area. They often talk about uh, the PayPal mafia. You know, all these companies that uh, these founders that 
originally made their big money in PayPal, uh, Elon Musk being one of them. Uh, it all starts with a startup and then it's, I won't say it creates its own weather or creates a flywheel, but as people exit or as people get some extra cash in their pocket because their startup's successful, they often just do it again. Travis, what do you think this does? Because you know, I'm reading a Reuters article that says St. Louis-based Varsity Tutors is going public, this valuation and, and all of this great info. But you know, these national news stories, and uh, this is a huge uh, St. Louis company on the tech scene now. IPOs always uh, get a lot of attention, maybe even more so these, these days if people are interested in nerdy on Robinhood. But <laughs> what does it mean to have uh, you know, a company like this uh, the same firm that's helping them go public previously helped Uber and Airbnb go public. So, you know, to, to this Reuters story, St. Louis-based Varsity Tutors going public, $2 billion. What does that mean for St. Louis? I think those first few words are really critical, St. Louis-based, right? This is not uh, not St. Louis-founded and then left and moved elsewhere, but it is St. Louis-based. And I think that that it's a validation point. You know, in the real estate world, we often talk about comps or comparables, right? Uh, a neighborhood uh, is impacted by the sale, like the value of one home is impacted by the sale of other homes. And, and so for Varsity Tutors, this is like a comp for the, the startup scene for St. Louis. If there are billion dollar companies, Varsity Tutors, Tutors is evidence of one. If there are billion dollar companies like that, maybe there are others. Let's look at St. Louis a little bit closely. What's also cool to me about this is the fact that it's not, um, you know, it could be some complicated uh, business to business, you know, in the background kind of a company that does huge numbers, but just isn't known to consumers. But this is really revolutionizing the way that we educate ourselves, our kids. It's really helped so many people in the midst of this pandemic when, you know, uh, parents are pulling their hair out and they're like, what do I do? How do I get this done? I don't know about this topic. Uh, and so what do you think? It's so cool. It, it, for me, it feels like to have a consumer company that's in an industry that's helping people, making their lives better. And education is paramount in terms of importance. And so it's helping to push that field into the next uh, the next generation of technology as well. Yeah, I think I think a couple of things that that I recognize with that one, uh, it's saying that education is worth investing in, right? Either from a an altruistic and societal standpoint, or now even from a business standpoint, that there is a return on investment when you invest in education. Secondly. I think very few of us get to experience a product and then see that company or that brand go public. Uh, I travel a lot, or at least I did <laughs> before the pandemic, uh, and I always liked staying at Airbnbs. Uh, and there was a period of time that I even hosted, uh, put my my house up as a host on Airbnb. And when Air Airbnb went public, I felt a little bit of a sense of pride because I had interacted with that brand and that company before before it was big, right? Before it was a public company. And so I'm wondering if there is a some St. Louis pride for those families and those students who were part of Varsity Tutors early. Like they were student number five, student number 10, maybe student 100. And now this company is growing and they could think, I used to be part of that or I was part of that. You know, and I wonder if so many people who are a part of this now, and especially who've helped build this and create this from nothing, might uh, might this be a new 
industry cluster for the St. Louis area, just like we're the leaders when it comes to agriculture technology and sports technology, one of the centers for financial technology, financial services. We're talking about geospatial and mapping tech all the time, and St. Louis trying to get the edge on that. I mean, with a $1.7 billion company that seems to be the leader in the industry, I wonder if this could create a, a halo effect, almost like how Monsanto was the huge ag company, but it helped to spur, whether it's employees leaving or just their presence attracting folks, it helped to spur a huge just uh, community of companies in the similar field around it. I wonder if that same thing might happen with nerdy varsity tutors. I, I think it could. Uh, I think it could happen because there's, I think there's two different ways to become like an industry cluster or a region known for an industry cluster. One, you have a lot of assets, whether they be academic assets or financial assets uh, or a large market capability, a lot of assets that are relevant to that industry cluster. Or you have a lot of deficits that, you know, an a lot of opportunity for fixing. And we would be fools if we didn't say that our educational system in the St. Louis region is broken, right? I mean, there are there are, and so if we have an education-based technology company that's providing solutions, uh, that's a big asset, a big group of people that are proven problem solvers, and we have a broken system that is our public school system uh, and our public education, maybe there is this opportunity for these solutions to start addressing some of the local challenges, and that's where an industry cluster can be born. If you're just joining us, uh, Clayton-based Varsity Tutors, a St. Louis startup that we profiled over the years here on this show and on KMOX News, is going public at a $1.7 billion valuation. And as we finish up this segment, just a few more stats to throw your way. It's about a $275 a month fee if you want 36 hours of uh, individual tutoring. But the company has also expanded in the last year, offering free live streamed classes with experts and celebrities. And they say that those reached 3 million hours of instruction, and touched 500,000 students last year. So uh, just to wrap up this segment on Varsity Tutors, any final thoughts on this uh, St. Louis company that started small and is now huge? Well, let's see what the uh, Varsity Tutors mafia looks like, this, uh, this collection of nerds uh, from Nerdy uh, that are going to have a financial windfall. Good on them. They put a lot of hard work into it. Their investors will have a financial windfall. And let's see if they can uh, be good stewards of that money and keep the keep the growth going, starting something new, really leaning into what the next generation of industry cluster could be. Maybe it's in educational technology. Nerdy's ticker symbol will be NRDY on the New York Stock Exchange. Well, coming up on Nothing Impossible, what about uh, where are these tech workers living, especially if they're in Cortex or at the Medical Center in Midtown Central West End? We're going to talk about a huge development that's really capping 20 years of efforts to revitalize the Grove. Some exciting stuff. And when it comes to jobs, what's the latest with that 2030 jobs plan? There's been a lot of feedback that's come in. Have they taken it into account and changed the plan? We'll ask the author coming up. Stay tuned for more Nothing Impossible right after this. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio KMOX. All right, welcome back to Nothing Impossible. Travis Sheridan and Michael Calhoun here talking about well, Nothing Impossible. All the things that are probable and possible in the St. Louis region, especially when innovation and entrepreneurship is involved. And uh, we're going to jump into a conversation with 
Brian Phillips, he's the executive director of the Washington University Medical Center Redevelopment Corporation. Uh, there's some new housing going on within the Grove. It's called Union at the Grove. Take a listen. All right. So tell me what you and this uh, other group, including Greater St. Louis and the developer Green Street, what's happening in the Grove? So a really exciting project. This is a project that's been in the works for several years. Um, probably about five years ago, my organization issued an RFQ for um, development proposals for land that we owned in the Forest Park Southeast neighborhood. And it was, um, we specifically asked for developers that would deliver mixed income housing. And this, the the Union at the Grove project is the very last and final of the the developments that that are happening as a result of that. And this project is a six site, 160 unit um, scatter site unit development that will reserve about 50% of the units for workforce housing. And we are super excited because this is a, a very popular neighborhood. It is close to a um, to our, our large employment center at not only the Washington University Medical Campus, but our partners over at Cortex. And these are this is some of the areas that are growing really fast in jobs. And these um, units will allow uh, people at various income levels to be able to um, to live and work and play clo- uh, close in. That's got to be a real balancing effort between, of course, the city wants to attract new residents and, and have new development, but you don't want to displace the people who are, who are currently city residents and who, who have been longtime city residents. And at the same time, you've got this huge employment center and people want to work closer to where they or live closer to where they work more than ever before and, and take other modes of transportation. And so balancing all of those different desires and goals must have been tricky. How, how did you do it? So, you know, we've been working in the Forest Park Southeast neighborhood um, since around 1996. And part of our community engagement was to work with the community to develop a shared vision for the stabilization and revitalization of this community. And one of the first things that the residents communicated to us as as the institutional partner in that effort was that as Forest Park Southeast uh, was going to bounce back, they wanted to, to bounce back as a mixed income, mixed race, mixed use neighborhood. And so most of our efforts over the past 20 plus years, and I've been here since 1996, um, has been to that effect. And so, you know, over the years, we've helped with the development of several affordable units, um, both um, for sale and rental units, senior housing to allow local um, seniors to be able to transition into that um, with the revitalization of the Grove Community Improvement, uh, the, the Grove Entertainment District. And as we've used our land bank, um, as we've acquired vacant properties over the years and was able to amass about 80 parcels of that and hold that for a, a substantial development, um, such as the Union as the Grove, it allowed us to continue to um, be able to allow for um, mixed income housing to come in. Had we, you know, had the developer had to come in at today's market prices and at and, and today's land values, it would have been almost impossible to put an affordable unit in place. And so what we've been trying to do over the past 20 plus years is to work with the community to realize that shared vision of mixed income, walkable, urban, um, mixed race housing. 
Is this uh, a situation where Washu Medical Center has you know issued the RFP and banked the land, uh, and Green Street mm-hmm. is the developer and Greater STL is is coming in with some financing? Or correct. how would you describe the the split correct. on what everybody's bringing to the table? So correct. So you 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 described it perfectly. And this project, um, which is the Union at the Grove project, is the very last um, utilization of the of the land bank uh, of the land that we had banked. So about two years ago, the other big project that was associated with the RFP was the Adams Grove um, affordable uh, townhouses, which Rise partnered with the local Forest Park Southeast Development Corporation to produce in the same geography that the Union at the Grove is is located. They um, produce 50 units of affordable housing, um, and that's at a at an even lower income level. So it was eligible to people that made um, up to 60% of area median income, which is about 20% um, lower than the workforce housing requirement. And so the idea was to create a situation where you had people from all income um, levels, all living in the same space. So in the same three blocks where the union and grow at the, at the Grove project is happening, you have LIHTC units where people make uh, can make up to 60% of area median income. You'll have the union at the Grove units, which is a mixture between workforce housing and market rate housing. And you have uh, new construction um, homeowners um, also all within the same space living next door to one another on the same blocks, being um, being all within neighbors, you know, without the the um, economic segregation. And I, I look through the renderings and there are different forms, not just, um, you know, within the greater ecosystem of what's happening, but within this, this project, you've got, mm-hmm. uh, you know, townhomes that look closer together, some that look more private. You've got multifamily, you know, apartment buildings, it looks like, of varying different heights. And then also something that I think is interesting is the streetscape and the environment. You're really, it seems like, trying to bring that city feel, that that distinction back to this area. Yeah, so that that's a part of the overall visioning of the whole neighborhood. Like I mentioned before, you know, we've worked extensively with the neighborhood um, to realize a vision. And so one of the earlier things that the neighborhood um, did do um, a couple of years ago, they... Um, created the second form-based planning code in the city of St. Louis. The first one was done in the southern portion of the Central West End, and the Forest Park Southeast plan was the first entire neighborhood-wide plan. And what that form-based plan code does, it um, gave the neighborhood an opportunity, the neighborhood and the stakeholders an opportunity to, in advance, go out and look at um, all of the vacant property uh, within the neighborhood and design a a, a system for what they wanted to see. So the, the code dictates um, you know, the, the shape and the form of any new construction that happens in the neighborhood. So, and it's a, it's, it's a zoning overlay. So it has the force of law. So it informs developers, you know, the types of structures and types of buildings that are allowed. And it, it deals with the height of the building, the setback from the land, I mean, setback from the street, the setback from the alley, the types of uses and things of that nature. And that that was essentially done to respect the um, history of the neighborhood and to make sure that new development that came on in the neighborhood is very cohesive. Even though you have new construction going on um, next to historic uh, buildings, you want the development to be complementary. And so if you look all across the Grove neighborhood, you'll see most of that new construction conforming to that form-based plan code to really fit in and to really give you a sense of um, the, the, the re-urbanization of the, of the neighborhood. 
Well, what are the logistics on this? Um, when does work uh, get started, or are there any uh, you know zoning approvals or incentive approvals that have to come before that? And then, when do you expect to start having people move in? So the the I believe the first two buildings are are going to be going to construction in the next. Um, 30 to, um, to, to 60 days. And the, the, the other buildings will come on, you know, a couple of months after and after, and it's about a 18 month, um, construction period. And at the same time, you mentioned in your other question, and I didn't, didn't answer about the streetscape. The other unique thing about this project is that while the project does receive, um, 10 year tax abatement, the, the, the abatement that the developer is getting is, is being plowed back into, um, infrastructure improvements. And so um, you'll get new alleys, you'll get um, uh, streets redone, pedestrian lighting, and in some cases, the street grid will be restored. So on the 4,400 blocks of Norfolk and Vista, the street will be reopened at Taylor, which is currently cul-de-sac. And so um, the unique thing about this, this, this project it is that infrastructure component of it, and it'll not only benefit the new development, but it'll also benefit the existing residents, which are both homeowners and um, renters in the area with, with new infrastructure. Is that uh, one of those cul-de-sacs with the shamel pots? So no, these were actually cul-de-sacs that were put in a couple of decades ago. So they were the traditional rounded out cul-de-sacs where all the streets terminated at at Taylor. And because of the great development that's happening along South Taylor in that quarter, this will allow the neighborhood to reintegrate um, into that area. So all of Taylor Avenue um, south of Manchester is being rebuilt as a part of the infrastructure project. And... um, Complementary projects like Green Street's other um, project, um, which is Terra at the Grove, which is a huge um, multifamily building just just west of the project site, will also be connected to all of this. The only message that I would just like to leave is that, you know, hopefully, you know, as you look at the redevelopment of the Grove and you look at projects like this and understanding how it takes multiple partners to kind of reinvigorate the city and to use this as a potential model for how other neighborhoods in the city can come back as mixed income, mixed race, and mixed use. Uh, We hope to be a really good example of that. And this is not something that was done overnight. This is a great project and we are super excited about it. But this um, is the culmination of over 20 years of small developments and making small increments and bringing everybody together. All right. So again, Brian Phillips, the executive director of WashU's Medical Center Redevelopment Corporation, Union at the Grove. We've got more to uh, come on Nothing Impossible. We're going to talk to Bruce Katz uh, about the 2030 jobs plan. Stick around. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. BioSTL has won a competitive grant to establish the Center for National Pandemic Resiliency through Bioscience right here in St. Louis. And joining us is BioSTL President Don Rubin. Well, this is by far the largest federal award that BioSTL has ever received. It's a recognition at the national level that St. Louis has the assets to help position our country for future crises, anything that's biological-related, health-related. We've got great universities, great medical schools, great industry and talent. And for BioSTL, this is our seventh innovation award now from the Department of Commerce, more than any other organization in the country. 
And it really is about the track record in St. Louis of being able to innovate and be entrepreneurial and creative in making the most of these assets. So if you think about the kinds of things that could um, that we could pilot, that we could develop in, through startups uh, that might make a difference, treatments, vaccines, faster ways to do research next time, uh, things it was really an amazing thing to watch how fast the world developed a vaccine. But what if we could do it twice as fast? Uh, what if we could develop treatments twice as fast? St. Louis has a strength in creating research tools that help researchers do things better. Think about technologies in disease surveillance, in monitoring, in contact tracing. You know, the, uh, uh, this center will, um, number one, uh, take, uh, incubate ideas that come from our own universities and medical schools, will be a magnet for these ideas from around the Midwest where, where innovators want to bring their ideas to market, will be positioned to do that faster than anyone else. And we're, st and we're also a magnet for innovations from all over the world. As you know, Michael, we've been working through Global STL to bring innovations to St. Louis from Israel, from Europe, from Asia. Um, and if we can be a magnet for piloting and accelerating those innovations in the United States mm -hmm. by piloting them in the urban areas, in the rural areas, and, and uh, uh, really bringing to market ideas that can help this country be resilient faster. Mm -hmm. And, and some examples of that, we've, we've profiled here on KMOX, Precision Virologics, which is working on a nasal delivery vaccine. We've got uh, Confluence Life Sciences, Galera Therapeutics, a lot of companies that were already doing this kind of work before we had the center announced in St. Louis. But, but Don, tell us why St. Louis, with the hospital systems we have, with the startups, with the uh, you know, companies from Centene to Express Scripts, why is St. Louis the place for the National Center for Pandemic Resiliency. You know, we talk about fragmentation in St. Louis. When it comes to the biosciences, it's really the opposite. We really have come together, work very closely together, um, and when it comes to commercializing, when it comes to taking ideas and making them reality, St. Louis has become very, very nimble at doing that. And we have convinced the federal government that we have the ability to do that better than others have to, have, have, uh, are able to do that. The creativeness, the entrepreneurial spirit is alive here, and we have really thought through what it takes to, to go from an idea to actually a product that can help people. And this uh, center is going to focus on four pillars, commercialization, facilities, workforce, and attracting global innovation. So that's uh, one of the benefits right there to the St. Louis region, potentially helping to build a robust, inclusive talent pipeline for these startups and other bioscience-related companies. Don Rubin is the president of BioSTL, and we appreciate his time. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. All right, welcome back to Nothing Impossible. Travis Sheridan, Michael Calhoun here uh, discussing innovation, entrepreneurship on Nothing Impossible, your favorite show on KMOX. I'd like to believe that. The 2030 jobs plan, it was put out there. Opportunity for public feedback was asked for and offered. We're going to talk now to Bruce Katz. He's with New Localism Associates. Uh, he's helped shape and provide some input and guidance as St. Louis and the region are building out this 2030 jobs plan. What kind of changes have you made based on the feedback you've gotten? And is that the, uh, the biggest chunk of feedback, the St. Charles County Executive? Or uh, is there anything else that you want to point out? Um, well, I think the feedback from um, Steve Ellman and others was quite constructive. 
Uh, and what we're doing as we finalize the plan is to be much more clear about how the assets that St. Louis has in its metropolitan area are really distributed across the metropolitan area, and also how many of the strategies we have in this plan affect different parts of the metropolitan area very, very uh, helpfully. So whether it's around uh, upgrading the skills of talent, uh, talented workers, whether it's growing a small business ecosystem, frankly, the focus on restoring the core itself, having a stronger city of St. Louis is very beneficial uh, for the entire metro. So I thought these were very constructive comments. Um, there are many other comments coming in that are focused more on the specifics of individual strategies, how they will work, uh, which institutions and intermediaries will drive them, how much they will cost. But I thought um, County Executive Elman's comments from the very get-go, um, very helpful as we, as we finalize this. Can you give an example or two of some of those other areas of feedback that you've gotten or a certain part that you've said, uh, you know, we've heard this and I'm taking a second look at it? Well, I, I think there's just an interest in how individual initiatives will actually work. Take the STL pledge, for example, where we're basically calling on leading companies, universities, uh, hospitals, um, you know, group, uh, entities like Scott Air Force Base, to be more deliberate on how they buy local, hire local, uh, invest local, and as, as they grow jobs within their institutions, locate a portion of those jobs within the core of the city. I, I think the, the major comments are, let's get specific about this. Like, what kind of baseline analysis would, you know, does the region have already? What kind of impact could this have on small business growth? particularly black and, and brown-owned businesses in the region? What kind of job effect could it have? So I, I, I anticipated that this is generally speaking what happens with these kinds of plans. I call it almost like the last mile of the plan. You know, get more specific, get more granular on how this will actually work. And, and frankly, I think that's very positive. This is not meant to be a report. It's meant to be an action plan that's actually delivered, executed, and implemented. So these kinds of requests for more specificity, um, we will respond to. And, and so is this going to be to the point where they are um, uh, procedures that are uh, spelled out, uh, follow step one, follow step two, follow step three? Um, because, you know, in St. Louis, we've joked for years that a lot of plans get made and then they collect dust on the shelf. Well, I think you're right. Um, first of all, you have a lot of studies that have been done very good studies, a lot of community engagement. We've read all of them. Um, what we're trying to do is literally tease out business plans, you know, more concrete, specific, detailed information so that these kinds of initiatives um, can be ultimately delivered as quickly as possible. I would just say one other thing. If there is a large federal stimulus package coming out of Washington, D.C. later this spring, um, around innovation, infrastructure, and human capital, many of the initiatives that we identify in our plan would be eligible for federal investment. That's, that could be a down payment on this plan because you have just enormous strengths, competitive advantages in St. Louis that could garner federal resources. 
When you uh, talk about the STL promise or, or the STL pledge and uh, putting jobs downtown, it seems like right now when there's an opportunity, uh, the St. Louis region fights over it no matter what it is. Does the region need to be more deliberate in saying, well, this company wants an urban environment and a tower? So downtown, you get it. And this company wants to build a sprawling data center. So St. Charles, you've got the land. Build that there. Does there need to be more um, each part of the region recognizing what their niche, what their, what their most successful thing is, and then playing to that? Yeah, this, I think this is really a wonderful question because the reason why metropolitan areas, not just cities, not just counties, are the real unit of the global economy is you have multiple offers, you have multiple opportunities. And it's exactly as you described, different kinds of companies as they seek different kinds of opportunities um, are thinking in radically different ways about where they locate and what kind of facilities they need. And our definition of the core, by the way, is not just the downtown or even the greater downtown that reaches up to Harris Stowe and SLU, but up to Cortex and beyond and then, frankly, given where Rankin Tech is located and NGA West and where Square is now have its headquarters, you've got a bigger core that I think could, could attract um, company growth and company location. But you also have many assets in your counties. And so, a, you know, fitting location to the purpose and the needs of different kinds of companies and different clusters in our economy makes metropolitan areas very, very strong. And you're one of them. Whenever there's a big uh, project that's announced uh, and a uh, big corporate tenant is sought, uh, there are always the intentions that are uh, put out there at first to say, we want somebody from outside the region. We want this to be additive. And then usually in the end, it turns out that it's a relocation from somewhere else in the region. Uh, and it's still touted as we've done this great thing. But how does St. Louis get beyond uh, just moving the chess pieces around and getting into the conversation you know, we're in this time when, whether it's uh, the business climate in California or whether it's companies who are deciding what to do with their office space in COVID and going to cheaper areas, uh, it seems like there's a great relocation happening across the country of companies. How does St. Louis snag some of that? Yeah, I, I think the, the first, and in some ways, the most important thing to do is to realize that St. Charles is not competing against the city of St. Louis. Metro East on the Illinois side, is not competing with the Missouri side. You are the 20th largest metropolitan area in the United States that is competing against other domestic metros and global metros, right? You fit in the global economy. And so you should not be competing with each other. You should be collaborating to compete against the world. And I, I think you have the opportunity to do that. Again, you're very large. You're not a one-trick pony. You've got multiple competitive strengths, multiple clusters that we identified in this plan, biosciences, advanced services, advanced production, geospatial, fintech, ag tech. St. Louis, I think, needs a metropolitan version of itself, vision of itself, unified, integrated, able to compete globally. Um, and I, I, I actually found, as we had these comments come in, both through our public forums and then written, that that is more and more accepted now. And particularly given the market dynamics underway post-pandemic, you could benefit from relocation of firms, talented workers. You've got a lot of assets to offer, but they're at the metropolitan scale as, as much as the individual jurisdiction scale. 
Finally, Bruce, what's uh, what's next in this uh, process, uh, both in terms of the, the public uh, engagement and then finalizing it and implementing it? The public comments are um, open until January 31st. Uh, I, I really hope your listeners do send their comments into the Greater STL Inc. website. Uh, then we're going to absorb all this. Um, we're going to have a shorter version of the plan. One of the biggest comments is we don't want just a 90-page version of this, which I appreciate. We want a 20- or 25-page version of this. So there'll be a shorter overview. We will incorporate as many comments as we can. We will try to do this crosswalk with the federal stimulus. Um, So there's a lot of work to do here. But I I have to say, um, having done this in many other places, I find the comments to be very constructive, very insightful. You know, in many ways, the true experts... Um, are local stakeholders and practitioners, um, people who really understand their region and are committed to make their region more prosperous. I think that's what's coming through this, through this entire jobs plan. Well, Bruce, is there anything I've missed? Anything you're thinking, geez, why didn't he ask me about that, that you'd like to add? No, I think these are the main, the main comments, I mean, or the main kinds of questions. I, I would say that... Um, you know, as we move forward through this very disruptive year, uh, the federal government um, and its investment potential is much more substantial than I think many people realize. Um, and President-elect Biden has called for substantial investments in innovation, infrastructure, human capital, housing, small business. Singles can be very competitive for this. I mean, I. Again, I mean, from an outsider's perspective, you have very distinctive strengths. So I I would just leave with that notion. Don't let the federal stimulus package pass you by because it could be a down payment on certain initiatives, but actually um, uh, help sort of catalyze transformative moves across multiple multiple parts of this plan. All right. Thanks to uh, Bruce Katz for joining us. And that is our show this week. You could download the podcast. And uh, find out more information at the website. And uh, I don't think this show has a $1.7 billion valuation yet, does it? I know we're valuable, but not that valuable. Let's talk to management. Maybe so. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us in this edition of the show. We'll be back next week. Thanks a lot. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.